This is Caroline. This is Kat from Shuffle Online. And this is Mike. This is the Westworld Podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode four of season three, The Mother of Exiles. It was written by Jordan Goldberg and Lisa Joy and directed by Paul Cameron. Hey ladies, how are you doing this evening? Good, good I suppose. Yeah, pretty good. Can't complain. So this was a big twist episode. It, it answered some of our questions that we've had so all you know all season here though. There's a lot to unpack I think in this episode. It felt a very mid-season break type of thing if we were on regular TV where you know it's like okay let's give you a bunch of stuff and then we're not going to be back for a couple weeks and then we're going to go again because yeah I felt like this was an information dump. Yeah, it did feel that way. Um but we're definitely not getting a break, right? <laughs> no, like, no. <laughs> no, no, no. With all the Westworld episodes, you do have to pay attention. But this one did feel like you really had to hone in because you're like, wait, what's going on? Like you're actually giving us a lot more information than just like a little tease here and there. And it went like all in, which was really nice. Answering some questions, which I thought was pretty good for episode four, I guess. It was pretty early on that they're doing that. That means there's going to be more, I think, the next three episodes, right? It's seven episodes total, right? I think it's eight. I think it's So this actually is the mid-season episode. So mm-hmm. it's interesting it has I that felt feel it, to it. Didn't it? Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. Like any good Westworld episode, we should start with the title. So the title of tonight's episode was The Mother of Exiles, which is from a poem, which I'm going to read to you. You probably know what the poem is, but maybe you don't. So I'm going to read a little bit and we're going to talk about it. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome, her mild eyes command, the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. That's the very not famous part of that poem. It goes on, in case you don't know what we're talking about yet. Keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she, with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these the homeless tempest toss to me. I lift my lamp besides the golden door. That is... The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus from 1883, 1893, 1883, I think. So what do we think? Who is the mother of exiles? Is it the obvious choice of Dolores? Is it Maeve? Is it just a name of an episode and we don't have to think about it too deeply? That that sounds like Westworld. Has no meaning to it. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with the idea that obviously, you know, for those of people who are still like, what? Statue of Liberty, folks. I am going to go with the idea... Not necessarily that there's someone who's the Statue of Liberty, but more that yearning to be free portion that I'm going to suck into. And the idea that you you can keep your past, your past, and that's fine, but we all want to basically uh, immigrate somewhere else here. So I feel like that they want to move to a new world. Yeah, I agree along the lines of what Caroline is saying, because everyone is always talking about choice in this and whether they're actually doing it out of their own free will, like in quotations, or is it like predestined for them with the new characters in this world and that, how do you say the Robohoem, <laughs> the computer? I'm completely okay calling it like Riho or something because yeah, I cannot stand there. So Riho, and so it's like a whole world based, like now in the real world, supposedly this real world, we have found out that there's not really, like all the choices are predestined as well. And they're kind of steering you towards that in Westworld. And now the real world, there's question of whether you're doing it out of this free will and stuff. So I think that that does make sense. That does make sense. I think it's like, I don't know if there's one person who's the mother of exiles. So it's interesting because I I think 
you know, you say the mother of exiles, you know, it, it, it makes you think of the Statue of Liberty. So it makes you think of a singular strong woman. The obvious answer is that it's supposed to represent Dolores as being this beacon for the others of her kind to rally around and come to. The question is, though, and the reason I think that that's not the case is I don't know that Dolores is really pushing any kind of liberty. I think Dolores is really just pushing her own version of a totalitarian totalitarian regime, you know, where humans would be repressed. And I don't know how much freedom and liberty that she that her actual hosts are going to have either. So I think it's liberty only as Dolores sees it. I think it's her own liberty and not anyone else's. So then you think Maeve. Maeve is interesting because you have Sorak talking to her this episode about help him take down Dolores and he'll get her to the the Eden, the valley beyond, and where she can live in that new world with her daughter and all of the other hosts that got tucked away there last year. It's interesting. It doesn't represent a singular person or is it really more... You should focus more on the idea of coming to the new world and a, and a chance to start over. It's going to be interesting to see how the season plays out. I don't I don't know that there's an obvious candidate, just like I don't know there's an obvious good guy or bad guy this season either. I definitely don't think there's an obvious good guy, bad guy at this point. They're all gray hats for me, current. <laughs> I agree. I think everyone is shady in their own way or just has their own agenda. And I don't necessarily know if I can fully agree with one go all in like, oh, this is a bad guy. This is a good guy or a good, good girl, bad girl or whatever woman. I think it's really interesting. I think that's what makes it really, really fun to watch too, because there's no clear cut. Everyone is kind of can go bad or good. And there's so many intersecting storylines. When I watched th- this episode, it reminded me of what we were talking about in the first episode where you were like, it's one of the just had to think a lot. <laughs> So exciting to watch, I guess, is what I'm kind of going down is like this one really was kind of like you mentioned, it's the mid-season. It's felt like that, like a lot of information. <laughs> it's I do feel like it's a puzzle with lots of puzzle pieces. And the cool thing about this particular episode is I felt like they dumped about half the puzzle box like onto the table, which was exciting because I felt like I could snap a couple of them together. But mm-hmm. also a little, I don't want to say frustrating, that's too strong, but exciting in a a different way because I know I have all these untethered puzzle pieces that there's so much more information I need to get to actually put this all together, which, you know, leaves you in that spot of being like, yay, I figured one thing out. Oh my God, there's 25 other things. Let's start unpacking all of those puzzle pieces that got dumped on us tonight. I want to start uh, maybe not in an obvious place, but I want to start with Sorak. He wakes Maeve up in a restaurant in Singapore, which I uh, just at the outset, I I thought it was kind of funny that did they just carry her in kind of unconscious or have her in some kind of diagnostic mode to walk her into the restaurant that she was able to wake up there. No one thought it was weird that this unco- this woman was slumped over in her chair in the in the restaurant in Singapore. But maybe maybe shit goes weird in Singapore. I don't know. I thought the same thing, though. I was like, oh, my God, did they like carry her in in like a seated position and just like plop her down like. Do you guys remember that show um, Today's Special where like the mannequin guy would like turn back to Frozen? I was thinking, like, did they just, like, move him around like they used to with that guy? <laughs> no, but I did think of the movie Mannequin with uh, Kim Cattrall. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how he used to walk her around when other people would see her. He would just kind of, like, a mannequin, like, just carry, carry her under her arm. So maybe that's what Sorak is doing with her. And also, who's dressing her? Talk about consent and, and uh, having your own agency. 
they're putting her in beautiful dresses, but, you know, someone is manhandling Maeve's goods. I think we're just supposed to think of her as the object at the, as this point, right? Yeah. But honestly, though, if someone's going to dress you, at least it's nice clothes and not like shitty clothes. Right? They have good taste. <laughs> thank God. That's very Stockholm Syndrome, Kat. We need to talk later. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I, think, I, think that was, I think that was a cry for help, Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint, hint. I have no free will, but damn, I look good. I mean, at this day and age, I don't know. I feel like we don't have a lot of free will up in here. So yeah, a good hair day is maybe all we get today. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what I'm doing because like I'm in pajamas right now and kind of been in it all day. So seeing someone who's well dressed, it's like, oh, I wish I was like that. Yeah, like, damn, I, what, what I would do to have someone dress me right now. <laughs> I mean, I hear you. I've been in pajamas. God, what time is it? I've been in pajamas since like last Wednesday, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's tough. What's that meme going around on Facebook? You know, uh, it's the blurtieth of Maple. Sorak was interesting, though, because I think I, f- I feel like we got a little uh, glimpse uh, into his motivation. You know, we had this whole new idea that Paris was destroyed and, you know, it looked like something either biological or something nuclear. It it seemed man-made the way he was talking about the kind of foibles of humans and, you know, how we can't be trusted. And it really seemed to all point to his motivation to control literally all of humanity so that, you know, kind of like greater good kind of argument that he wants to almost eliminate free will so that humanity can exist in what he considers the most utopian fashion. But it's interesting, though, that it seems to have this genesis in him being a small child. Must have been, I guess, in the 2020s or 2030s, you know, if this is, what, 2058, uh, that something happened. And and I thought it was an an interesting layer of lore and show mythology that we hadn't had before. Did you guys pick up on that? Did that that click for you? Yes, it did. So there was a a couple parts of that that were interesting to me. I thought that his childhood really like immediately snapped to Ford's childhood. Like when he was like, I played with my brother and they were like running around. It took me like a second to be like Ford's English and he's French. (laughs) Like they're not brothers, but them playing around in like a field kind of thing looked very much like Ford playing around as a little boy and they dressed really similarly. So that was like a funny little parallel in my brain. I wanted to tell you that I looked back at the episode that we covered for episode two just to try to remind myself about the introduction of him. All the talk about, even when you use the word Genesis, he's sitting in that garden and he literally reaches out and picks up an apple and bites it. I mean, there's so much to him that is like this godlike-ish or maybe Satan. I don't know. Uh, we don't know, good or bad guy. You know, Maeve's all dressed like an angel in white and everything. There's so much to this that is that is layered that is very interesting. Well, remember, Dolores tells Martin, original human Martin, before she replaced him at the end of episode one, the gods are coming and they are angry. You know, maybe the gods are not only the of the host kind, but maybe they are the Sorak kind also. Do you remember the name of Liam's friend? I'm not remembering his name off the top of my brain. Do you guys remember Roderick. Okay, Ro- remember Roderick? Roderick? Also, she does that thing where she points to the part of her head and she's like, right here is the oh, part of the yes. brain where humans start to believe in God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Intrigue. Talking about like symbolic things, I don't know if this means anything, but you never know. I love the way that... um Dolores is wearing black and then Chaloris or Charlotte is wearing white 
and it's kind of like the mirror of, you know, like, I don't know, I found that really aesthetically pleasing, but also feels very symbolic in some ways, too. Oh, for sure. There's a lot of those moments like that. Like when they're at the masquerade ball, the guys are wearing like Liam's wearing a white mask and then Dolores and Caleb are wearing black masks. Like there's a lot of that black and white. Ah, so, so good. Mm-hmm. But we also got another confirmation this week that those white computer screen interludes that we've been seeing, the divergence, the uh, heightened scrutiny, that those really are connected to Ciroc, which which I think confirms that they're related to uh, Riho or Rehoboam. And Ciroc uses the word divergence, which is the first time we've heard the term from the screen used out loud. And he, he says that, you know, there was a divergence three months ago and he takes Maeve to Arnold's house. And that really kind of sells it for Maeve that Dolores is back. And at least at this point, I mean, uh, Sorak even says, you know, it doesn't seem that she brought you back. You know, she didn't take your brain ball. You know, she, she grabbed some, a bunch of people's, but she didn't grab yours. You know, at this point, it seems that Maeve really, and goes off the rest of the episode, seemingly convinced that she may not be working for Sorak, but she, she seems at least this point anyway that their interests are aligned against Dolores. Can we talk about uh, the concept of a divergence for a second? Because we haven't really covered that in the in the episodes that we've done. So what I'm gathering is that that means that like Riho machinery, their data has basically has like an idea of what everyone's going to do. And anytime someone deviates from what the predicted behavior pattern is going to be, that's what's pulled as a divergence. And so it- Dolores popping up and making anyone else like that's the divergence we're all on the same page yeah we, we talked about it a little bit at the end when Sorak was introduced in that episode about how his machine predicts everyone's or Riho predicts everyone's actions that's how it knows that you know Caleb is going to kill himself in you know what eight years by suicide because its algorithm is that exact and so when things happen like Bernard goes back to Westworld when Dolores shows up in London, when she goes to, to San Francisco, and then we get heightened, you know, heightened scrutiny. This is Rehoboam acknowledging errors in its algorithm, things that are not going the way they were supposed to be going, and that's and that's what is setting Sorak off. He says when he first wakes Maeve up in that palatial garden house of his, you know, I thought you were the divergence. I thought you were the the thing throwing a wrench into the works, but it's not you. It's it's the Dolores, this other host. It, it was the first time he actually said it kind of out loud, acknowledge what we have been seeing on the screen. But yeah, I, I think for sure that that's what it is. I also really liked the way that they used Dolores telling Caleb about that setup of like everything's predestined, you're going to commit suicide in 10 years to kind of reveal a lot of the information. I thought that was a really cool storytelling technique or whatever they were doing or reveal. Also that mouth thing that they basically used against you. So it was like people just implanted with that. Like you don't have a choice in this world. Is that what we're coming to? Cause that was, that was pretty crazy too. That was like a new introduction to, uh, I guess, I don't know if a weapon, but like a weird way to control people. For sure. I feel like it's like one of those things of like, you know, like you try to make a host more human. And it's like in this world, we're trying to make humans more like a host. I want to mention the thing on the divergence thing that I jotted down from something else. Do you know how like on the screen it tells you like where, but then underneath it says arc seconds. Mm -hmm. And for like Mm, the while, I thought it actually meant time, like seconds. It has to do with the intensity and the impact, like how far off it went from what they predicted. It's like a degree. It's a degree amount. It actually exists in real life, arc seconds. Yeah, no, yeah, so yeah, yeah I, I looked it up, the arc seconds. Like, oh, crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a really it's a really cool feature that I, I hope they keep kind of exploring. Maybe they don't have to explore because we know now. But I like the idea that you have that giant brain ball. Did you guys notice? It may have been in coming attractions. They give a really good shot of Rehoboam, and it looks just like a massive brain ball. It's got the same kind of dimpling on it. Uh, in the, it, mm-hmm. I think it's in one of the coming attraction shots at the end of this episode. So anyway, back in, back in the giant brain ball, I, I like the idea that it's just sitting there scratching its chin every now and then when Dolores or Bernard does something funky. And, like, makes it go, hmm, I wasn't expecting that. Do you guys believe Sorak when he tells, because he seemed pretty convincing, he, you know, he tells her, you know, listen, humans and, and hosts are not meant to live together. So the offer I'm giving you is not that you get to live out your life here with us, but I can I can put you into to Eden, into, you know, the valley beyond with your daughter. Do, do we believe him? Are you picking up that he's telling her the truth because he's going to get what he wants from her? Or... Bad guy, bad guy, red flag. He's definitely going to kill her or eliminate her when he gets what he needs from her. It sounds too good to be true in some ways. Like, it seems like he is divulging, like, what his end game is, which is basically, I'm just using you and then I'm going to put you back in this uh, where you want to go, your version of Eden, but you can't stay here. But that seems a bit of a, also like a control thing. And we're dealing with control and choice. And who knows if by the end Maeve gets this taste of the real world, like she's able to con- do really badass things like control the tech and, and do a lot in this real world that who knows if she's going to want to go back. I don't know. Maybe she'll try to get her daughter and bring her out and then that's going to cause a whole other thing. But in terms of whether he's telling the truth, I think it might not be the whole truth, but I think regardless of whether he sends her to Eden or sends her, you know, like kaput, like he is telling the truth in terms of like his end game, I think. He just wants to use her to kind of uh, get Dolores out of the way, and then that's it. I think it's probably one of the the more real statements that we've heard. But who knows? I mean, everyone. I don't. I try not to think too much of it because I think everyone is telling some sort of lie in a way, or not telling everything. I guess even when they're not aware of it, uh, everyone lies on the show. You know, they may not even be aware that they're lying. They may be thinking they're telling the truth, but it still comes off as a lie. But what did you think, uh, Caroline? Mm, I don't know that he has the ability to do what he's saying he can do. I agree with you guys that he needs her, which is confusing right at that point, because why would Sorak need Maeve if he's so all-powerful? Why does Dolores, who's so all-powerful, need Caleb? Like, there's these little, like, moments where you're like, why do you need somebody who seems to be less powerful than you? There's something that she has that is valuable that I'm just not sure what that is. I, I, that's interesting because I, I want to talk about the and this is a this is a divergence from what we're talking about. But I don't know. Do you think that Dolores needs Caleb or did Caleb just prove himself to be of a nobler stock than she is used to seeing? And I believe her when she says she is tired of killing. I think that's where her gray hair area is. I don't think she is just, I don't think she's wallowing, enjoying the bloodlust. I think she just feels it's a necessary evil. So I, I, I took last week's episode that the way Caleb acted when he had no reason to, but made a choice to help her, I think really resonated with her. So I don't think he, I don't think she needs him. I think she enjoys the idea of not having to kill someone and maybe having an actual ally. Put them on the same plane. Say that Sorak has got all this power and all this knowledge. Dolores is fully capable. Neither of them need a buddy, but they're both choosing to have a buddy, and I'm curious why. I think that's a good point, because I've thought the same thing throughout these episodes, and in some ways you're like, well, it's a television show. If the, if it was that easy, it'd be like, you know, they would be doing it, it wouldn't be as, as exciting. But in other ways, there seems to be maybe a weakness in some ways, or like you mentioned, that Maeve has something that he can't do. Like, maybe he can't get to Dolores, 
So he needs her to kind of be the, the one to do it. And why? Why is that? Maybe he can't make his own choice. I don't know. Maybe he... It's hard to I don't know. know. It's, it's very trippy. Yeah. And I think also, I think what you were saying, Mike, about uh, Caleb and Dolores, like she brought it up again in this episode where she's like, I didn't think you, you know, you were going to do that. And then she essentially offers him a choice in quotations, I guess, because uh, what kind of choice it, is it when he knows he's going to commit suicide? So like, why wouldn't he go this way? But maybe she also revels in the idea that like, she's going against the humans that like, didn't let her make a choice about her life. And then she's offering what she would have wanted if she had a choice to this person who is maybe on her side and maybe she's finding like um, similarities in that and maybe she likes that. Unlike Dolores, who I think has made a choice to have Caleb with her, I think you're right, Caroline, that Sorak needs Maeve, but I think they're different though. I think he actually needs her, whereas Dolores is just choosing to have Caleb come along. But my thought on that was that he can't take down Dolores for no matter how much money he has, there is a sophistication in these hosts that he even says, you know, he th- he went out, he, he set out to make Rehoboam be the ultimate understanding of human nature. And then it turned out that those motherfuckers at Delos made a better product than him. And Dolores and Maeve represent the best of that in, in a working way. And so it, it makes sense to me, you know, you send a Terminator to fight a Terminator. You know, and so it, it, if I'm him, one, I'd rather have Maeve, who is more disposable than me. If I'm Sorak, that's how I'm thinking. You know, rather her go get her head blown off than me or my human men. Uh, and two, you know, you may need someone of the technological sophistication that Maeve has to take on someone of Dolores's capable hands. I mean, look what Maeve has this power now to shut down all electronics, to interfere and jam them in our real world. That was fucking amazing. Did you guys pick up on that? Were you like blown away as she was just like, she was just blitzing things out like crazy in this episode? Yeah, I kept saying it out loud. Like, oh my God, did you see that? Like, it was just so cool. It felt like a little magical though. And I was wondering how that works, but I guess it's some, I don't know. And I'm talking about like trying to understand um, like where her powers come from in terms of how she's able to do that. But it was pretty badass, I think. Well, and seems- also, it just makes her such such a good weapon. Like how she, when she goes to battle Dolores, which is probably going to happen at the season finale, it's going to be insane. And also, I had a question because you were talking about this. Did Dolores basically? I guess um, Sarak can't put her offline. Like pause her, like he does with Maeve. Like, what do you think about that? He made a comment about that that he went into her and planted something in her when she was unconscious. So. I, I don't know without fiddling inside of Dolores's brain if he'd be able to do the same thing. Because he talked about it when he told her about the off button at that restaurant that kind of made her, you know, get flustered. Was it in the restaurant or was it at, at Arnold's house? But wherever it was, he shows her the on-off switch that he has. But the way he was talking about it, it made me feel like he was fiddling inside her brain to make that work. The same way that Bernard had to kind of come up with a similar button. He had to kind of create one that would work which he uses on Stubbs and he tries to use on on Liam later. Uh, What did you think, Caroline? Well, to answer your question, Kat, about like, where does that power come from? If if you remember in the, in the um, second episode, which I didn't really remember this conversation until I rewatched it. She's talking with Hector before she realizes it's not Hector really and saying how she can like control other hosts. And she has all this like that. Remember the mesh system where she was able to basically connect in with other things that are like on the same kind of circuit, if you will, but that whole mesh background. So I 
feel like that's where like that initial power that you're asking, like where where exactly was that coming from? Because it kind of feels like magic in the way that electricity generally feels like magic, right? Like I don't, you know, we don't see it or anything and it's just like there. I think that that's super interesting. And then I think you're right that there's something implanted because of the way that it only seems to be on off. Like it seems to be like a like a circuit breaker, you know, that's pretty much it. So it's all about circuits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we saw last season that was Maeve's big uh, evolved power was that she had total control over all of the hosts going through the second half of last season. And then when she couldn't do it at the beginning of this season, she felt like she had lost her powers. It turns out she couldn't do it because she was in a simulation, not in the park. But yeah, I had the same thought, Caroline, that the power in the real world is kind of an evolution of that power she had in the park you know, using some kind of like electromagnetic pulse power interference thing. But it, it seems to, to stem from that same kind of local host control that she had inside the park. I'm just going to like throw out the idea, though, too, that like the in the same way that like the hosts were connected. I think that this world that we're seeing, I have a lot of question marks about what this world is. And the fact that she could hook into some sort of like circuit system behind the scenes makes me feel very much like this is not the real world. I'm kind of getting that too, or it's a very advanced world, but it seems like, especially with the with Caleb and the reveal about predestined thing and the utopia, I don't know, it just feels a little creepy. It doesn't feel as, um, I guess, human as we would think, but what is that, right? This is what the whole series is about. Like, what is human, what is not? Like, some people don't know, so. Caroline, are you, are you hinting at that this is maybe some kind of future world? I'm hinting at that in the previous seasons, we dealt with alternate timelines. And I think we're dealing with alternate reality. Oh, I love it. I like how everyone's like, pause, <laughs> mute. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted Shut to do my up. little, I just wanted to do my little ooh. I didn't I, have anything. I wanted your ooh. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I think. And I think that I'm going to throw out the concept that Dolores was stuck in her world as a host, right? And she's like at the mercy of everything going on, the, the humans, right? Caleb is a really interesting counterpart to her because he's a human that is at the mercy of the computers and the data that's out there. And so I think that they are going to play this like yin yang that they need each other to complete something in order to fix this in some way. My thing about future world was because that's the sequel to the West world. It totally could be. What if we are? I'm totally for it, which would be so awkward for Dolores that she escaped to just another park. But it makes it makes a lot of sense, though, why her and Maeve would have so much power and abilities in this world. It would make sense, like, the otherwise really hard to believe Rehoboam exists that you could like, pinpoint, you know, Caleb's suicide in eight years. Well, sure, because that's his storyline. That's what Lee you know, has programmed for him kind of thing. You know, the idea that this is they just escaped from out of the frying pan into the fire makes everything seem a lot more sense. Uh or even like maybe from like one goldfish bowl to another goldfish bowl. Like it's like you just you just hopped worlds, but you didn't you're not in the real world yet. Right. And also with with that thinking, this could be where what if Caleb's just a more advanced version of, or not advanced because he's not a Dolores and Maeve's level of like awareness, but that they're just like a new version of the hosts in some ways, if that's what we're going, like this is future world kind of thing and they're not human. But that's like a trippy 
thing to go down, like the ra- a rabbit hole that goes down. I want to, tri- <laughs> but a fun one. I want to trip off that real hard because I know I want to say this. So if if Westworld was a place where you had like ultimate free will, right? Like no judgment, do whatever you want. What if then future world, if that's what we're going to call this alternate reality? What if that world is pure judgment? Like we've already prejudged your ass to the point where like you came over here and now you can't even get a job and you can't do anything you want. Like what if it's just like the that black white, you know, the opposite, the opposite world, basically. That is very interesting. But also there's the whole storyline, too, of the data that's missing from Chaloris and Serac wants it. So what's that about? You know, what's what that's also like an. Ooh, what is your idea? Okay, so from everything that I can try to like piece together, if you guys remember the stuff that had to do with the forge and the data that they're trying to get out is really the the crux of all that is what makes something human, the like consciousness part, the soul part, that part that's like super intangible, right? That's what's living in the forge. That's like heaven, what have you. That's the data. Now, on the other side, you have, I'm going to call I'm just keep calling him Riho. Riho has our spending habits, our doctor's visits, our uh, demographics, those types of information. But it doesn't have that intangible. It's like they, they are, they're, they're two parts of a whole that Riho badly wants to finish the, their project, which is they need that intangible part. All they can really do is like crunch the numbers, but they don't have the soul part. That's what I think they're after, the secret to that part. Sarak said that tonight to, you know, Riho was supposed to be this, this ultimate understanding of human nature. And then Delos created the actual perfect uh, capture of humanity because it did have the intangible that I think that's what he was talking about. He was talking about Maeve and he was talking about Paris and he was talking about his motivations that I think that's what he was saying was that that's why he wants what Delos has. That's why he wants that data because that is the perfection that he has. And no one knows, no one knows the pursuit of the perfection of that intangible more than him because he has spent trillions of, you know, a trillion dollars and a lifetime trying to build it only to realize that it existed. And, you know, these other guys over here created it and that's why he wants it. So I I think you're dead on right. I think, I think that's what Sorak was talking about tonight for sure. Let's move on because there was actually a lot here and we've probably done like the most minor thing. Um, But let's follow the natural progression. Let's stay with Maeve. She goes on this hunt and she kind of has this badass Terminator jaunt while she goes first to find who who Dolores bought the IDs from. That's a little torture scene down in the basement or somewhere in Arnold's house. And that sends her to the mortician. One, I don't know why I was surprised that the, the mortician was a woman. What did you guys think of the whole Maeve on a conquest from the mortician then to the Yakuza? Oh, I thought it was super cool. I loved how they pulled in all of her skills from like samurai time when she like used the sword. They used the powers that she had to, um, from what I could surmise, it wasn't that she controlled the guns. It was that she controlled, they have like those wrist um, things that control their aim. And so it was that she could control that. I, I'm not going to say this right, but like that distillery name, did you guys catch that part? What the name of the distillery yeah. was? Yeah, it was a great, it was a great little Easter egg. Do you know how so to say it? I practiced it before. I, I think it was... Itai Doshin. Itai Doshin. Okay. And so that's like a Buddhist term for being of the same mind, but many bodies. So I thought that was like a super cool little like nod to all of us. Like, okay, people, like we're trying to tell you everything. So I thought that was neat. I thought that the the mortician thing made total sense that 
she would have a dead body down there. And so she would know who would be like a fresh identity to give you, right? Because it's like whomever's dead down there, <laughs> you could totally dispose and then just be like, okay, now you can be this person. And you just come out like a dead com body comes in, a live body comes out. I laughed out loud when it, when the Yakuza, when the Yakuza came in to play because uh, the idea of the Japanese mafia has really supplanted in popular culture. It's really taken over like the Russian mafia and the Italian mafia. As far as like thugs go, there's such a trend the last four or five years for using the Yakuza. For me, the Yakuza like stems out of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from like the 90s. The idea that they were like the Foot Clan was like an offshoot of like the Yakuza. So I just I think it's funny that the that this like this whole idea is just getting so much play in TV now. But the Yakuza, here we are. What did you guys think of the goo when her and Sato were not really Sato as it turns out? It was actually uh, uh, Musashi. It was awesome to see him back. What did you think when they stabbed that one barrel and that white goo was coming out of there? What what, what was your reaction to that? Oh my god. Yes, and it was amazing. <laughs> it was like, of course, she would, she would be, or we didn't know at the time, but the operation of like this liquid, which is basically their lifeblood. And so that was really cool that Dolores is just kind of, she was just on it, you know, like she really got a system going to make what plan her, to make her vision, you know, execute her vision. And then when we learned that Musashi, and then it was just so fun in this episode. I don't know if about for you guys, but thinking like, oh, who is that? And I was thinking, it's Clementine or you know it's uh, Teddy or whatever and then it was like right there in front of us like why would Dolores trust any of those people who weren't really like gung-ho with her in Westworld like of course it would be just be copies of her like it was just like it was kind of like that little emoji like you know like mind blown and I was like <laughs> yes it makes so much sense and so that moment was really fun because Maeve is kind of having this conversation and she's of course the superior being of all of us and she figures it out like right away she's like of course of course you, it's it's not anybody else and then i think she realizes like of course that's why you didn't bring me because it's just all of you you weren't bringing friends you were just executing your mission you know what that's interesting i wonder when Maeve. i'm very much assuming that Maeve is coming back you know back online then i feel i wonder if that is going to change if that will like stick in her brain at all just like you said like she wasn't scorned she wasn't betrayed she wasn't left behind she duplicated herself and copied herself into these people so she didn't like leave her behind you know what I mean like that feels like you could feel kind of like pissed about that but maybe not so much I think it's going to be a big thing that uh, uh how, how should we call this uh Musashoris or Dulashi there you go Dulashi didn't destroy Maeve he could have killed her instead of just stabbing her through the stomach which is not fatal for a host he could have chopped her head off and like ended her he didn't and he talks right before he stabs her. He's talking to her about how we're going to build a world that your daughter can live in. I just can't have you working against us with Sorak. Against us. It was a very, we're of the same family. We're just not getting along right now. I don't hate you. I just can't have you following me kind of thing. You know, the way like uh, the way uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts, uh, you know, conks Andre the Giant on the head in Princess Bride. He doesn't kill him when he could. He just knocks him unconscious. He doesn't want to kill him. He just needs to take him off the board for a little bit. Can I say then? So then the curiosity of that is, will Maeve remember that fact and remember that they're not actually opponents then in that way? Like, will she come back online, given that this is the halfway point? Will five, six, seven, eight be her, you know, double agenting? And before I saw anything was that start, they were going to start out as enemies 
but they were going to unite because it makes sense. Because at the end of the day, I think Maeve and Dolores both actually want the same thing. I think they're going about it in different ways, and I think they talk about it in the same way. I think it's ultimately going to be them versus Bernard. I think Bernard, because he ha- he still thinks of himself as a human. He, he said it with Stubbs in the very first episode when he said, you're one of them. Instead, and then he said, one of us. I think it's ultimately going to be all of them versus Bernard. Sorak should have really gone after Bernard, as it turns out, I think. Because I think Maeve and Dolores are more aligned than we think. Interesting, though, what did you think, uh, Kat, of uh, we got to see Sato or Mushashi or Dolorashi trying to cut out her brain ball but then he got interrupted because the people were there. And so they had a, he had a bounce. Interesting that, you know, he didn't destroy her, but he, and it did look like he was try, he was about to go kind of do some brain surgery and take her brain ball. What, what'd you think? Good motives? Where, where do you stand? Is That's very interesting that Delashi did not kill her, but in some ways too, I can take it like maybe the cynical part of me and the television fanatic part of me can be like, maybe it's the main Dolores that needs to take her out if she's going to take her out. You know, it can't be one of the copycats that ends her because I mean, what's, she needs a good death, you know, if, if there is going to be a death. So that's why I think she was taking the brain ball because then they would probably make another copy of her so the real Dolores can be the one to decide what she wants to do. Because like, essentially, they're all copies, but is are they, they're all still answering to the main one, right? So that's a good question in terms of like, is it a, a Xerox copy of her? Or is it like what I've heard, like kind of tossed around was the concept of or is it more like split personalities? Like, is there like that whitey part and that like, like, is there like one that's nicer and one that's a little bit more compassionate or like whatever? Like, is it sliced out amongst them? They seemed more like children to me with with the twist now in hand and then thinking about back to Charlotte last week. It seemed very much like a like a child, like, who am I? What am I needing to be cuddled? in the bed, you know, hurting yourself because you just don't understand what's happening to you, you know, and then Dolores coming in and being like, I can't always be here to hold your hand the way she kind of scolds her. It seems much more of a, of a, of a child like personality because they all seem to have the ability to turn on some ruthlessness, but also have like some sensitive moments too. So I don't know that it's split personalities. I don't know if it's like one host, one of them has like her empathy and one has her sense of humor and one has her, you know, badass fighting skills. I think they're all kind of like children of her. Part of what you're saying is interesting about timelines again, though, because like things that we saw, like Charlotte being so snivelly and being so weak. And then later she's so strong in another like or in another storyline. She's so strong, like with William, super strong with him. There's no snivelliness there or anything. But there's like that sense of like, I think that she is going to evolve like that. The Charlotte that we see earlier cutting herself and doing all that stuff is an earlier version than later with the William version. I I mean, I don't think it's like a full human like a growth cycle, but I I think it's a maturation cycle, though. You know, just through that episode, you saw her over the time span covered during that episode. You saw her go from child, I don't know who I am, I don't know what I'm having, you know, to when she kills the pedophile in the park, Tommy the pedophile, and, you know, says, thank you for reminding me, you know, of who I am. You know, you're not the only predator here. She chokes him dead, and then she comes in, like, total badass, guns blazing in her meeting with uh, the man in black tonight, which which is the meeting that Dolores said you're going to need to go see a friend to, you know, put off the the Sorak, you know, try a takeover attempt. You know, she says you're going to have to go see an old friend uh, last week. The, the old friend was, you know, William, the man in black tonight. I think we got to see her her 
little her little Dolores's you know first child kind of grow up over the course of that episode. That's that's how it that's how it seems in my mind anyway. I, I don't know. I may be completely off base. No, that makes sense. I think that just kind of goes off like you. They're not exact replicas because they're still they're they're gonna are they gonna evolve to a different thing too, where they're just evolving to what Dolores had whatever the timeline was since she was uh, made in all the years at Westworld to get to where she is at. And so it wasn't going to just be like a copy paste mega Dolores, five copies. Here we go. <laughs> so that's an interesting concept too, that even though it's like there, the, you make these copies, they're not necessarily where you need them to be. I love it. No, you're right on cat. Like, cause, cause you're right. What if you just put out these little babies in the world? Everyone's not going to grow up to be the same person at the end. Super interesting about how their own experiences, nature versus nurture, right? In the real world, how will that change who they ultimately mature to? I think we had a great example of that, and they sound silly, but it, it tracks very similarly. If you guys watch The Good Place, think back to Janet and the the more powerful, more intelligent, more human-like she became, the more she was rebooted, uh, terminated and rebooted, terminated and rebooted. And so the Janets, though, at their base programming were all the same on that show, but through their experiences, their their growing up, their influences of the of the humans that they were around, the number of times that they were kind of restarted the way Dolores was in a park, constantly having to go through the same program over and over again. It's an interesting, you know, idea about robots, you know, you know, approaching humanity, flawed humanity through trial and error, error and through nature versus nurture. Can we take another divergence over to Victorville, USA? and talk about the uh, wacky comedy duo of Bernard and Ashley Stubbs. What did you guys think of their little first interaction here? They're living pretty rough in a motel down in uh, Victorville, which is a real place, by the way, uh, by like, San Bernardino in California. It's awesome. And it's like the comic relief that we mentioned in that episode. Um, I love the fact, too, when <laughs> they always have that like zing moment when, when he was like, uh, I don't know, he said some quip, and then Bernard basically paused him, and then he's like, fuck you. <laughs> oh, my God, that was so good. I love it. I don't know. I love this duo. I'm here for it. I'm here for the bromance. But I think it's going to end badly for Stubbs is what I'm predicting on this episode right now. Interesting. What was your take, Caroline? Did you like the bromance stuff? Uh, a little bit of levity in a show that's not known for its uh, comedy? Completely. Because I think that they're a little bit, there's some viewers that they completely represent in terms of watching Bernard try to put the pieces together and watching him try to figure out who's a host and who's not a host. And um, you know, having him sit there and tinker with what he thinks is like, you know, could I make a little stop button and that type of thing. Like, I think there's a lot, a lot of information that can come of it. And it's like the, it's like the, um, the peeled back more casual version of Westworld. Yeah. I like the idea that he comes in and, you know, we were on limited funds, so we only have enough for essentials and he pulls out a six pack of beer from, you know, the, from the bag. I thought that was funny. Uh, that these these two robots that don't need beer that, that that's what they consider essentials. But I you know I give Bernard I give Bernard a lot of credit because his theory on what Dolores was doing was pretty close to dead on. He just had the wrong person. He had the right idea. You know she's getting close to this powerful person and replacing it with a host, replacing the human with a host. And so you know that's his plan. His plan is we're going to go kidnap the host, host Liam, and have you know get him with his stoppy button get him to tell us who else she's replaced and kind of take down the host army that she's building. What'd you guys think? Solid plan or uh, flawed from the get-go? That reminded me of the, I had forgot about that moment. About He's like, he's like, why isn't it working? <laughs> it's like, he was like, oh shit, this is not real. Which is also maybe um, we were talking about whether this is future world. I mean, if that didn't work, then 
maybe they are really human in this world, I guess is kind of a clue, right? Possibly. When he realized that the minion was actually the other guy, and then he he also had the realization that it was her, he realized it was even worse than he initially thought, probably, when he realized it's the copy of her, and not just friends of the brain balls. It seems like that when you were talking about the idea that he was sort of like a little too early on the on the fact that that Liam was not changed into a host at this point. I think that that is one of those times when it makes me tap my head about the timelines and about if he was playing through those things that we were all saying, you know, is that a memory or is that, you know, something else that he was going through all those like montage of pictures and stuff. It made me wonder, like, maybe he's a little off with his timing. Like he thought the time they were here Liam would have been changed into a host by now, but it was wrong timing. I, I, I took it differently that he's just not as good at the duplicity as Dolores is because he realizes that it was Martin, it, it, that it's Liam's right-hand man who she changed, not the not the actual figurehead. She changed the figurehead's right-hand man. He almost kind of was like, oh yeah, that makes more sense. You leave Liam on the board. You leave him in place and you change all the people around him. That gives you as much power um, without having actually... Because Liam as Dolores realizes, uh, doesn't actually know anything, doesn't actually control anything. He's a necessary figurehead because of who he is. But she she learned before Martin un- made her unconscious in the first episode that Liam doesn't actually know how to get into Rehoboam. She now has all of Liam's money. So Liam doesn't really serve a purpose. Like he, He's been completely castrated. And so Martin is the one that makes a lot of sense. And, and Bernard has that moment of realization out there in the alley by the car. He's like, oh, yeah, obviously, you, you're, you're the one she changed. You're the one that makes sense. So I think his plan was, I think he had the right idea. He, she, I think he clued into what she was doing, but he didn't think about it as carefully as she did because I think she's just better at it than he is. Host Martin is able to get the access key and then steal all the money. Like all of that would have been weird if Liam had done it himself. Having the right hand, having the underling do it makes a lot more sense as it turns out. So quickly, let's bang over to the man in black. Were you guys super psyched to see Ed Harris back and and pick up his story this episode? I was. And it kind of threw me off a little bit too, but um, it was a nice surprise. And I also love the daughter's back because I loved her, like almost hoped she was real. But, you know, we all know that I don't know. I can never say 100% sure on this show because I don't know for uh, the the finality of it or whatever. But um, it was really interesting to see him in this state and have the delusions. We weren't really sure what we were seeing. And then the Choloris, I guess he thought he had the upper hand because he was like, you know, he was kind of dogging on her. Like, you let this happen. And then she comes out, you know, obviously um, with this plan. And then the little that little spike of blood, which... I'm guessing you guys have theories on that, which is like maybe the more delusions or was it like a thing that's going to, because at the end he sees Dolores and it's basically going to be like a loop of hell. So what did you think of that? Are you talking about the blood on the chandelier? Just to clarify. Or are you talking about the blood? I'm talking on about the little, the little, him? yeah, on his, on his, uh, when uh, Cholores leaves, like the mental people are taking him away and then she like pricks him with her finger oh, okay. on his neck. There's like several little blood droplets though because there's like the blood on the little chandelier thing above him that drips onto his head and then there's blood on Hale's face like a little drip on her face that comes into play at some point I think those are time markers you guys I think that's going to help us know what's happening in time but go ahead what do you think about the pinprick in the neck back at the eyes wide shut party they were talking about Liam's friends Roderick and uh, his girlfriend were talking about that drug genre 
that uh, gives you like a super psycho pharmaceutical trip that they said well, it would bring you back to like the silent era, which I thought was kind of a weird thing that I'm interested to see if it comes back into play. But with the introduction that we're dealing with like high end psycho altering drugs, it, it struck me that that pinprick was some kind of injection of some kind of LSD like drug or maybe even the genre that is, you know, part of Dolores's plan to make him susceptible to to delusions because I, I think again kind of like how they castrated Liam in this episode by taking all of his money and all of his power with him being committed the man in black is pretty powerless you know pretty powerless at this point he's lost all control of his company you know Charloris now has all of the voting shares so I think all that's left for him is for Dolores to wreak havoc on him and make him suffer and torture him. I don't know. I think, I think it's kind of like a psychotropic drug, you know, to make him more susceptible to delusions to maybe kill himself. You know, welcome to the end game. She says to him at the end, part of that self destruction, you know, she's always kind of wanted him to embark on. I I feel like we were getting set up for that's going to be the, that's going to be the final uh, chapter of the man in black's story. There's a part to the Man in Black stuff that I thought was really cool in terms of the idea that when we first met William and he had to choose whether he was like white hat, black hat, and he, he, uh, you know, went white, then went black. And then now ultimately he was sitting there in like the white outfit in the psych ward. I thought all of that was super interesting journey just visually. And then I really appreciated them bringing him into the storyline because it allowed us to have him and Hale, Maeve and Mushashi, and then having Martin basically and Bernard, when you have all of them in like a like a lineup, then they were they actually dribbled out the information to us in every storyline that this everyone was a copy of Dolores. Having Hale shave him like Dolores did, and like having those little moments was like, oh yeah, like if you went back to each storyline, each one like like very slowly peeled it back. So I thought that that was really, really, really well written. It was a great reveal. It was a classic Westworld kind of reveal, too. You know what I thought about while uh, while she was shaving him? That's why I remember my notes. The man in black's talking a lot of shit to someone who's got a blade to his throat. But I guess that's classic man in black. I, that's classic, you know, douchebag William. But also, I mean, I've had that kind of shave. I get it every now and then at my barber. And I talk very nicely to my barber while he's going through that part of the haircut and stuff. You know, I don't talk shit to him. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a very vulnerable position. But that's the thing. Like, that's why it would stand out to us is like, they're not they're not like that. Like, why would he trust her like that? And then it's like, oh, little by little, you're like, oh. We're drawing our parallels here. I really agree with you, Caroline, on how they revealed everything. And then you realize it just like becomes the aha moment at the end. You're like, oh, of course, these are like, what was the, it was the line where she says, if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. And that was like, yes. It's like, yes, girl. Yes. Completely. Yeah. And then um, I love that storyline. If it is going to be the end of the man in black, that it's basically the ultimate revenge story in some ways, like for, um, uh, or justice served if whoever's point of view you're taking but Dolores finally gets to torture William the way she was tortured in some ways and even make it worse because he's gonna have an end and she doesn't have an end so she was tortured but she gets to move on and write her own story and what that we think is going on with her but yeah very a very fitting end 
I guess, if it is the end to the to the Man in Black. I don't think it's going to be the end end. I think it's going to play out uh, maybe again this season. But if it is, it's pretty awesome. I thought it was great. The last con- the last part of the conversation they have at the end of the episode, it almost felt like an after credit scene too, uh, where it's old West Dolores comes and sits next to him and talks about, does it is it a relief to know that not all of your delusions are actually delusions, that maybe some of them are real? But then he's so broken, and when she says to him, and she's caressing him, and she says, ask the question you've always wanted to ask, and you really get this just, he's just stripped to his bone, and he kind of whimpers, you know, am I me, so pathetically, and she just kind of grabs his face, and you know, and she says, welcome to the end of the game, and it's just so sinister, but in such a, it delivered in such a, a sweet way, like you would say to your grandpa at the end of his days, but it was like, if you were whispering to your grandfather in really sweet tones, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker. You know, that was kind of like how it was delivered. It was so delicious. I loved all of it. Because this guy, he's a piece of garbage, and he deserves every bad thing that anyone could possibly do to him. And I want Dolores to be the one to exact revenge. Did it remind you when he said that line? Did it remind you back to the beginning when they were describing the game? And they said, the game begins where you end and ends where you begin. Like basically once you go crazy and, and you don't know if you're you anymore, then the game's the game's done, right? But if you but like it once you start getting to know yourself back again, like you can come back. <laughs> Which I think he's coming back. I don't think he's gone. I think so either. I think it would be a waste of him for this, but I, I, I like that he's probably gonna be off the board for a couple of episodes and he and you know, things are looking very bleak for him. But he I mean, he was really gone round the bend, except for the period of lucidity when you have, you know, Charlotte come and tell him, you know, come back, you know, come back to who you are and kind of brings him back. But he spends the, he spends most of the episode, you know, arguing with, you know, his dead daughter, Emily, who, by the way, Katya Harbors, I'm so happy she's back on the show. You know, she's had this breakout hit with Evil on CBS now, but uh, I was glad to see her come back after, after her unceremonious death last uh, season. Yeah, I mean, he's having he's having the delusions about the bathroom where he says he won't go in because that's where, you know, Juliet killed herself. You know, she drowned herself and stuff. He's not in a good place. He has completely lost the ability to tell what's real and what's not, which is so funny because he starts, you know, he says, I'm in control. Like, he says it with force, but he's not. He's not in control. He maybe has the least amount of control of anyone on this show right now. So it's interesting. I really like what they're doing. And I think he's just such a good actor, Ed Harris. I think he just sells the complexity of that character so, so, so well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to him over, you know, the next couple episodes or probably more likely the end of the season. We'll see him come back would be my guess. One thing that did come up in this conversation with Charlotte or Shalaris and uh, William was we got mention of the sector, the project in Sector 16. Now, that's the that's the forge I, I think that's what they were talking about, unless there's another secret project that we don't know about, you know, the copying the millions of, of park goers, their brains and stuff. But am I wrong? Had we ever gotten a like official kind of title or a reference? I, I just thought it was interesting that all of a sudden we have this Sector 16 that I didn't remember hearing, but maybe maybe it was known and just not talked about a lot. But then we heard it like three or four times tonight. And it was repeated at least three times, I think, tonight. And I think it was like four times. We, we heard Sector 16. So it was just interesting. Uh, you know, it seemed like one of those details the show drops for you to kind of noodle away for. Can we talk a little bit about about the Forge and and um, and Riho and, and the parallel stuff that we have going on? Because by by going to the party, 
the masquerade party and and the the Dempsey family being like the um, the celebratory sort of factor there, and then understanding that Riho is supposed to be co-founded by Dempsey and Ciroc. I'm so curious about like their relationship, Dempsey and Ciroc, versus Ford and Bernard slash Arnold. Really, so I'm really gonna say Ford and Arnold, right? On the Riho side, I feel like I wrote down like, all right, so we have Dempsey and then we have Ciroc who. I believe was probably a real man at one point, but I don't know exactly what happened, but I think he's like AR right now. And then on the other side, we have Ford and and Bernard, or really Arnold, Arnold being a real man, pretty much scrubbed from the history books. And then now he kind of, you know, he was reinvented as AI. And the reason why that like stuck out in my brain was because Ciroc was like never mentioned. And in the Riho world, everybody has a history. Everybody has all this data and everything. And Ciroc seems to manage to like not be in in any of that data. Much like Arnold was like very scrubbed from the Westworld history. It was all, I don't know. There's a lot there that that is very parallel. Charlotte makes a great point when Irene confronts her last week when they're out by the uh, riot control mechs and she tells her that someone's been doing microtransactions and buying up and has bought 38% of the company. And then we get more information about who this secret buyer is that we don't know or Charlotte doesn't know who it is. Charlotte's listening to her. And the idea is that the person who's buying it must have the estimate is like a trillion dollars worth of money, which would make you the richest person in like the world. If you combine, still richer than if you combined like all of the richest people in the world, you'd still have more money than them. But the fact that you have this tremendously wealthy person who has bought a controlling share in this massive company and no one knows who this person is, does seem suspicious. And we do get a lot of, he puts on the glasses and, you know, seems to really interact with everyone through the AR glasses that are very popular this season. So it's interesting. But... It did seem like he was there at the restaurant in Singapore. It did seem like he was there at the table when Maeve went to go stabby stabby him and he stopped her at his house. So I don't know if it's all been AR, kind of, you know, Ciroc by AR. It seems like he's sometimes there, but but maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely weird. There's something going on there. I think you're absolutely right. Maybe that's a multiple timeline thing, though, you know? Maybe. I, I think we're in one timeline. Oh, I thought we talked about that last time, that we all said that Bernard Bernard seemed to be in a different timeline than Maeve. No, you said that. I didn't agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I think there's multiple timelines as well. I think that there's multiple timelines and multiple realities, just because I think that's the way that this team plays. Like, that's just their shtick. So I don't see them getting away from that. But I'm just really, like, I feel like if we... if if we use a lot of that information that they that they gave us about like your poem at the beginning to like remember where you came from, but like move forward, that kind of stuff. All of that feels so much like remember Ford and Arnold and remember their relationship and now put in front of you Dempsey and Ciroc. What did we learn? What, what did we learn in the new world? Bring it with you. And I'm like, okay, what did we learn? I think I really like your AR Ciroc and the parallels between... Ford and um, Arnold and are we saying though that this could be basically the same maybe version or is it this a new bro couple that like created this Riho um, and just mirrored the same thing but um, I, it was really cool though that the visual effect when he's sitting in the chair um, when Maeve uh, opens up and you can kind of see a hologrammy kind of thing that was really awesome. Um, so it does kind of bring up the the point of uh, has he been AR this whole time ish kind of thing. 
So, and is this person just somewhere else? Does, do they even exist? Is it just a hologram? So it's really interesting. I think what you brought up, Caroline. I, there's so much to it that I feel like they, if you look at that and then you go back to the whole, like we were saying about there, there's parts to Dolores and parts to Caleb that feel like they're just that yin and yang. And there's something, there's something interesting about them pairing things up. And I went back through and I looked at a bunch of stuff. Like if you look in the background, there's like all these little moments of like almost like twin-ish looking things. So there's like a statue of like two women holding hands, like going around in a circle kind of thing. And there's like, there's all these like mirrored images stuff that's going on that I, I'm feeling, I feel very good about this. Like I feel like I can absolutely see where they're going with this and I understand it. This is your mirror world concept. So, so walk through again. So you're saying that they're in a like park Simulate this is that they're not in our real world, that they're in a either alternate timeline or uh, alternate universe or a like a like a new park. Is that your theory? I'm not 100 because I like that idea. I, yeah, I like the idea I, that I know they're the in a idea park. that they're that they're in a park works for me. It, it's not that I came in with that when you said future world and we kind of talked that through. I was like, well, maybe they could be in future world. That makes sense. I because of the mirrors and all the different mirroring little sections, whether it be Hale holding the mirror up to herself or them sitting and looking in the mirror or there was a time when um, Hale was sitting on the bed and there was about three versions of herself in the reflections that you could see. There was just all this stuff and I really feel like firmly that the idea that Caleb's life is driven by data, like whatever the data they have is like what is pushing him places versus how I wrote it was this. It was like the 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 world they live in is like this judged set of data where like the world that Dolores is coming from is the unjudged set of data. Like what would you do if no one was watching? And this is like hyper watched. I feel like there's something there's something there. And then there's something about this mirrored world, which definitely Dolores explained. That's how she was like understanding when they were in the diner and she was trying to explain things to him, to Caleb. She was explaining this whole idea of, I'm saying the world mirrored world, but it's like, I'm just figuring out this theory, you guys. <laughs> I know what I mean, but I'm not sure exactly how to explain it yet. That conversation in the diner when she explains what Rehoboam is um, in, in a way that we hadn't heard about how it was, how it was loaded with information, how it, how it kind of got started off the ground before privacy law, she says, I took that to mean the idea of the way the algorithm works not that it was necess not that not that there was a world going on inside of that brain that we may be living in that reflects it but all of that being said though if you apply that kind of algorithm to a very large park that makes a lot of sense to me how all of that information would be used and it also makes a lot of sense how Maeve and Dolores would have godlike powers because they came from this world where they lived so many lifetimes and accumulated so much knowledge and so much power in what you call the unjudged way that they're coming into this world of preset datas and they're just blowing up divergences and, and heightened scrutinies left and right because Rehoboam doesn't, they're not of the Rehoboam system. They weren't raised in that farm. You know, think like if you guys seen the Matrix, how the humans are actually all just kind of like in little battery farms. 
This is they're the unplugged. They're they're the Morpheus. You know, they they they've entered this world. They weren't raised by Rehoboam, so they can go fuck up its algorithms constantly uh, with with reckless abandon. Whereas Caleb is always going to have a problem fighting against the system because he is defined by the system. I think that's really interesting because I do have a I I um I guess I did have that underlining like matrixy kind of feel to this, but but then if we're thinking this is a world, it's interesting. I guess it would make sense because to me, in some ways, the Ciroc storyline of we saw a little glimpse of his childhood and like what is leading him and why he wants to kind of make sure to have this this world where people are very calculated and you know exactly what they're going to do so bad things don't happen is kind of what we're is what it was alluded to. But um, why would humans like agree to that? You know, like I, I don't understand like how you would get to that point. So it would make sense in a world setting that this is just another big, maybe possibly experiment. It's not the real world if we're thinking about it that yeah, way. It's super interesting that you said it like that, right? Because remember Arnold's and like Bernard's like touchstone? Remember like Bernard's whole thing was that was his child. So it was like he had his son and his son was sick and it was like had cancer and it was all this stuff. And it was like they made that little cornerstone, even though that wasn't like a real thing. Like for all I know, Sirach, I don't know how long he was a real man. And I don't know what they put in this like AR stuff. But like what if that motivation of you were a little boy and you saw your entire city get like blown apart in a nuclear war. And now this is what your mission is. I'm like so curious of like maybe that's your little cornerstone motivation. I don't know. How I opened the episode talking about Sirach was I think – this is his motivation. You, you ask, how how do we get to that point? I think the idea is when you see your world literally blown up by humans. It wasn't aliens. It doesn't seem like that destroyed it. It doesn't seem like it was a rising of the machines. You know, Skynet didn't come online. It was it whatever happened. And I hope it, one of the things I hope we find out more is what happened. You know, in Paris, X number of years ago, that probably also maybe happened in other places around the world. You know, maybe this is actually kind of a post-apocalyptic future that we're that we're living through. Whatever it is, Sorak's motivations are how you get to this place. Humans can't be trusted. Sorak doesn't think humans can be trusted. So Sorak has developed a system where humans have no choice. He has taken away their free will. You know, uh, uh, Dolores says to Caleb at the end of last week, she says, it's not who you are. It's about who they'll let you become, which goes towards, you know, uh, like Caroline's theory of, the people in this world, the Caleb's in this world, the Martins before he was replaced, all of the, the Liam's, the Liam Jr., they're just living in a defined set of rules. But Dolores, Maeve, Bernard, Dolores 2, Dolores 3, Dolores 4, they are not bound by those rules. They are outside the parameters set by Rehoboam and uh, and Serac. What if Serac is basically Rehoboam? And that's like the AR-ish kind of thing. And that's the person who's checking, making sure that um, it's just checking, keeping the world in check. And that's why he's so calculated and like, oh, humans are going to destroy this. I got to get it on track. Because why would you go against your race? Because Dolores has Maeve where he, she didn't kill the, the copy of Dolores didn't kill Maeve because they're essentially the same race. So why is this person that is supposed to be human, Serac? kind of going against you know what i mean like so mm. it kind of because think of think of bernard's role what's his role to keep the hosts in check right he's like the he was like the tinkerer and he was the one that kept everybody online and doing the thing they're supposed to do despite the fact that he was a host 
So it's like there's like a whole part there of like going against your your own and whatever, but you weren't really going against your own. You know, it, it is interesting to think of Sorak as maybe the avatar of Rehoboam, you know, the kind of in-world because you can't have a brain ball just walking around with feet, you know, so that Sorak is maybe the kind of avi for for that. Uh, Caroline, you just actually said something really interesting that I think maybe answers your question from the very beginning of this episode. You said, why would Sorak need a Maeve to take on a Dolores if he's all powerful? Interesting, because you kind of said it yourself. It's the same function that Bernard served. Why have a Bernard, a, ho- a host, being charged of keeping the other hosts in check? Why not have a human do that? You know, it's because they are, you know, evolved forms of the thing. And so you need one in my Terminator. You know, you don't, you don't, you send a Terminator to fight a Terminator. You send a machine to fight a machine to keep it in check. So it's a nice parallel there too. I totally agree. I, I, I had what was leading to my AR feel of Sirach, this whole conversation, but I just felt like it was like, I don't, I don't think he's a real man. And in some points that we saw him, maybe he was. And that's fine. You know, like that works because he supposedly co-founded Riho with Dempsey. That was like part of the backstory. So it's not it's not very far from sci-fi where the the idea of merging man's consciousness into the machine is a is a well-worn sci-fi idea that the smartest men in a room it's it's what Sheldon Cooper wanted to do on big on big bang theory his ultimate desire was to reach a point where he could put his brain into a machine and no longer have a physical consciousness and live on in mortality as a machine it wouldn't surprise me at all that you have the Sorak inflamed and motivated by humans destroying humans you know as as evidenced in his childhood flashback that he reaches a point where he he literally puts himself into the machine and then continues to exist in the real world only as like an avatar of that machine. I like it. It totally works. I feel like there's there's a lot here. I think this was like an amazing episode when I think about how many different characters we saw bringing back all these different people and getting a chance to think about where their storylines were and what they bring to the table now and who's going to continue with us. And the idea that like maybe they can switch out like, OK, so we had musashi in this one well could clementine pop up in another one like there's it's really interesting that she could keep moving that brain ball around i'd love that that's a a cool way to bring back people we love like i want to see teddy back um i want to see clementine back i want to see a few of i want to see hector back and so that's a or hector would be Maeve. so i want to see him for a different reason but dolores wouldn't bring him back unless it was kind of maybe kind of a mind fuck for Maeve that she would like throw that to her that's just a clever way of the of the of the showrunners being able to bring back people we like. Totally fan service, and I, and I really like how they did the reveal and and it explains some things. But there are some questions we didn't really talk about Dolores, but I don't know how much we have to talk about the eyes wide shut party and all the stuff that led up to it. I do want to say that that was not a clean needle transfer when she stuck Michael Tritters and drew his blood and then stuck it into Caleb. That was not safety. She should have changed the needles. I was not a fan of that. Let's move on from there. So we have Dolores and we have five brain balls. One brain ball, and I was so happy that we got an explanation tonight because it had been bothering me all season why one brain ball looked like it was kind of red-tinged, almost covered in blood, and the other four had been clean every time we saw the brain balls, and it had been bothering me and bothering me and bothering me. And now we understand why. Because one brain ball was actually ripped from the brain of an existing host. It was ripped from Bernard, and that's why it was bloody, and that's why it was the red ball. And the other four balls were just clean discs that she hadn't yet programmed with anything that she ends up putting her own brain onto. 
So we have five brain balls. We have Bernard is in one of them. We have Martin is one of the Doloreses. We have Mushashi is one of the Doloreses. We have Charlotte is one of the Doloreses. That leaves one unaccounted for brain ball host. There's one Dolores running out there, probably in a skin of someone from the old park, because that seems what they were doing. I mean, they've used, you know, Mushashi, they use Charlotte. Who do you think, let's go around the table. Caroline, who do you think we're going to see wearing the last uh, brain ball skin? The last Dolores, baby Dolores skin? I think that the chick that was at the Eyes Wide Shut ball, that was the one that Liam was super interested in. I did not do any IMDb or anything like that in terms of of actress, but I swear to God, that's the chick from the orientation. I think you're right because I was. She looks so familiar, but I don't know. I think wouldn't that be too easy though? Are we talking about the one who was dancing, like the that fully naked one, the the girl that he tried to buy yeah. that his his uh his car doc yep, declined? Yep. Interesting. I, I didn't actually I didn't actually look at her, so I don't know. I didn't look up the IMDb to figure it out. I'm sure we could, though. But I think that would be too easy. And I want to, I I hope it would be someone that is more of a fan service type thing. (laughs) So if we're just going off of that, like just what I would want to see, but maybe Clementine, but it has to be someone more powerful than that, right? Like who else is left? But it it doesn't really, though, because... Yeah, because it's going to be her. Because it's her. And we've seen that she has used someone who wasn't in the park. She used Martin, you know, she switched on Martin because yeah. that was part of the power play. So, so it's, but, but she also did design five host bodies. So one of them was her own because she was wearing a Charlotte skin when she left the park. So she didn't need to design a Charlotte skin. So she designed a new Dolores skin. That's one, four left. She designed a Bernard skin. That's two. She designed a Mushashi skin. That's three. What if it's Maeve, a Maeve skin with her? Maybe, but it seems pretty set that Maeve was left behind because Sorak was able to go in there and, and get her because she was highlighted in last week's episode as being one of the assets of, of significance that was missing from the park, which is also interesting. That explains that because when they, when Brompton goes into Charlotte's office and says, you know, there's some assets missing, the, most of them are low level stories. One of which was, one of which was significant though was the, was the madam Maeve. It, I, I thought to myself last week, well, that's weird, though, because there should be Bernard missing. You know, there should, well, not Bernard, because no one really knew he was a host. But there there should be uh, a bunch of people missing because she took four brain balls with her besides Bernard. And I saw I thought that was weird that no one, that they hadn't noticed anyone else of note that was missing. But now it does make sense, though, because she didn't actually take any uh, pre-programmed host. She, she took blank disks to program. So I don't know. So it's a good question is, is, does she use someone from the park? And if so, who? Um, if so, I imagine it would be a fan favorite. Um, I don't think it'll be Teddy. I, I think his story ended. I think when she cuddled him after he killed himself, I think that was a goodbye. I think I would not like if he came back. Uh, plus, James Marston is hanging out with Sonic now. Or does she use someone in the real world? You know, someone bigger. Does she Does she, Does she? she make a host of the president or, you know, whatever the fuck, you know? So it's interesting. I don't know. Caroline, what's your guess? Does she use someone that we haven't seen before? Someone in the real world that she copies? Or does she? do we get to see a uh, park skin come back? A fan favorite? It would make sense to leave one available to be able to be used as like that catch-all um, so that you can, you know, do a Martin or something like that. I'm not against that idea. 
I don't know. I there's there's a whole lot of her that seems so pre-planned that I don't know how on the fly she goes exactly. I guess I guess if she just had to leave one, I guess that that's fair. That that could be like her utility ball, if you will, for for someone in the in the human world. I think we also have to remember we saw she has a source of a lot of the body gel. Uh, the the white goo. I guess also in theory, she could constantly, as she has access to the printing machine. The only the only one that we know of in the real world is is the one in Arnold's house that Sorak knows about. Oh, Sorak has to be a little bit real because he took. I don't have any big idea that anyone knows that William is in the psych ward. There's no reason that I think that that's like no knowledge in any way. So when she pricked his neck. Is it possible that she got some of his little DNA or whatnot to go print his body, put her brain in yes. it, and then just walk his ass into that boardroom and be like, listen up? That would be the best thing. But that kind of defeats the whole purpose of committing him to the psych ward, though, because they get the, she they have control of the shares now. Why do that if that was what you were going to do? You could have just... You could have just done that beforehand. The whole idea was to, to take William off of the table... That would only work for a short period of time. Like a board of trustees or board of directors is not going to leave an empty seat infinity. So she only gets his spot so long as he's just like absent for a meeting or two. But they're not going to leave that empty if he doesn't show back up eventually. No, I, I think his shares would, would stay with her for as long as he was incarcerated in the psych ward. And I'm going the other way and saying I think that that was an abduction. I think he was put in a psych ward. I think no one knows he's there. And I think that eventually he's going to have to show his face again. And it would be just fine if it would be with a Dolores ball in his brain. But she says, she says as he's, when she's using her sweet voice, when the, when the guards uh, restrain him, she says, I have no choice but to go tell the board that you're mentally unfit and you're committed. She said that. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It's just a possibility. Predictions, possibilities. Well, the point that. The point I was making before was she. We know now that she has access to the distillery, and she has maybe unlimited goo uh, that's in those beer barrels. So she could really, if she always, if she ever needs to, she could just keep putting her brain balls into new bodies. You know, she can she can take Mushashi off the board and make a new body and stick the brain ball in Mushashi in a new brain ball. You know, with an unlimited goo supply, as long as she has access to the printing machine, she could just kind of keep making new bodies and keep use, recycling the same four balls. So who knows? The possibilities are endless. I just love the, I love brain balls and I love goo. <laughs> I love, the, I love these, these coins. Oh these my terms. gosh, that's very funny. <laughs> goo is what we call everything. <laughs> if you listen to The Outsider, the, uh, whenever he was like the alternate body, we'd be like, oh, that's goo. That's goo Terry over there. Like everything was goo something. <laughs> I mean, it's the best word. I just, lo I love it so much. Like I love goo. And the brain balls, because pearls is just like when I when I heard Serac say it on this episode, I was like, no, it's brain it's balls. Too fancy like, to call you know, it like, pearl, doesn't it? That seems too fancy. It seems like so much more. I don't know. Yeah, just like accessible. I'm not fancy enough for mm -mm. pearls. Yeah. Mm -mm. This is a totally weird thing for me to think of, but when I hear pearl, I think of the female tampon uh, uh, product. <laughs> me too. <Yeah. laughs> yes. I, I, it, it, from growing up with a house full of women, as, as I, you know, it was me, my father, and a lot of women in my house. Let's go around the table and talk about what we want to see in the back half of the episode. This is a perfect time to do it. We're at the midway point. Kat, give me one prediction you want to make, if you want to make one, and one question you, you hope gets answered before the end of the season. I definitely want to know more about 
like the question of who is Serac, because it seems like a really weird thing that there's this ult- ultimate trillionaire who's just able to buy like the shares and like have no trace or anything. So definitely, I hope that gets revealed of who he is, um, unless they're trying to go into season four and take the storyline with them. But it would be nice to have at least a good um, sense of if he's real, if he's not real, maybe in the finale or whatever and where he came from and more of what happened if that is a true storyline about the the bombs going up in Paris and if this is like what happened to the world and all that jazz. Um, And then a prediction is I think maybe the reliance on uh, like Dolores relying on or bringing Caleb on could be possibly a downfall because in the preview in the previews it says Bernard gets to him and says do you know what she's asking of you and then you know he's kind of like planting the seed of like are you just going along with this like do you even know like plan is what I'm what it alludes to so I'm curious to know whether the human element uh, of bringing Caleb on is going to kind of foil her plans if he like realizes that she's kind of gonna you know the demise of the human race kind of thing or if he's going to go along with it so I'm going to predict that maybe that might be a bad decision of bringing him on. Good good stuff. I mean, it would definitely prove in the end that Dolores, her initial instincts were right, that humans suck and she shouldn't have trusted them. Uh, how about you, Caroline? Give me one prediction uh, for where we go with the season and uh, one question you hope gets answered before the end of the season. I think that there's going to be um, more information about this idea of, of multiple realities. I think that that's a, a very possible ending here that, that that there ends up being more more than one reality i would like to understand more about really how how i don't feel like man in black is gone william is gone so then in that case i guess i i have my question would be like where does he play back in how can he play back in where where does he fit back into the story because i just don't think he's done i think he's got more journey in him I like it. I like it. I, I also suspect, I think we're not going to see him for a while, but I think there's more journey there too. He's just such a good shitster. He he just fills such a good antagonist role for Dolores and, and everything she stands for. He seems to be the opposite of it. So, so I like that a lot. My question is, I want to know more about this Paris thing. I want to know what happened to our world between where we are now in, in our world and 40 years in the future what happened? What happened to Paris? What what did humans do and fuck up so badly that gave rise to the idea of Rehoboam, to the idea of of losing our free will because we couldn't be trusted to keep ourselves alive? I, I really like the idea of the of the multiverse or that this is just another park, you know, that it was just, you know, we thought we got free will. Dolores thought she got free will, but really didn't have free will because she just went to a cooler park, you know, where she thinks that she has, you know, actual control. That seems very Westworldy to me. My prediction, and this is, I think my prediction is that this is the final season of this show. I think this show ends at the end of episode eight. I think the welcome to the end of the game was a very subtle nod that the show's creators know that this is not going to go on, that the five season arc is not going to happen. I think I think we get four hours left or four episodes left of the Westworld. I love it. I think that totally works. I, I'm I'm looking forward to additional timelines and additional realities. I think that's what Westworld does well. So I'm looking forward to all of it. And I know I mentioned this on the last um, episode that I was on. Just the music still is just like 
so good. <laughs> um, yes. Ramin is just like the score is just like, oh my god, the way he is able to make the melodies for the different dramatic things and make them new, but have that underlining Westworld theme in it is just so good. Like I, I want to just listen to that while I run. Using Weekend's Wicked Game set to set to strings during that that yes. uh, sex party and then the fight between Dolores and Ashley was dope. I really, really, really enjoyed it. It was really good. Yeah, it's just top stuff. Like, oh my God, so good. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Westworld Podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kat with Chef Online. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.